Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Today on this episode of Teachings from Al Pittman in the pulpit of Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, we resume our verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. Promises Fulfilled is the title of this message, so let's turn to the first chapter of this New Testament book. We will now begin our talk today with this very personal story from Pastor Al. Well, it's good to see you this morning. And welcome to those of you here for the first time at Calvary Worship Center. We're so glad you could join us. If you have your Bibles, we're looking at Acts chapter 1. We're going to finish Acts chapter 1 today. And we will take a peek at chapter 2, but we're going to dive into chapter 2 next week. You have an advantage. Years ago, my wife and I were on vacation with our two sons. Our daughter was married at the time, and um, we uh, went to Monterey, California. One of the places we stopped was Monterey, California. And we were blessed to stay at the famed Pebble Beach Golf Resort. Hallelujah. (laughs) And um, I'm not telling you that to brag. I'm just telling you that because we, (laughs) we couldn't afford to stay there. And we had a friend uh, who is now in heaven, who was a manager there, who arranged for us to have a room at the Pebble Beach. Did I say it was Pebble Beach? (laughs) Golf Resort. Amen. But not only just the room, but she got us the governor's suite. Amen. I'm sure Arnold Schwarzenegger and the rest didn't know about it, but we were staying in the governor's suite at that time and uh I mean it was nice and I kept waiting I was a little paranoid waiting for somebody to come knock on the door at any moment every time I hear somebody outside our door I think oh here they come knock on the door boy you know you ain't got no right being in here get on out of here you know but no one ever came so we started enjoying the amenities amen huge bathroom you know and uh you know, it had the shower that you could run around in and uh, all that kind of stuff. And I did run around in the shower and, uh, and uh, had bathrobes. I put, I don't even wear bathrobes at home, but I put a bathrobe on that day and the slippers. Amen. I was walking around like I was the governor. Amen. We enjoyed all the amenities, all the things. And the reason why is because it's not because of who we were, but we had an advantage. Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit to the church that we might have an advantage. And so many believers live as if they are at a disadvantage. You don't know what you got. Sometimes you look at young people and they're out there doing all the crazy things and stuff, crazy stuff we did. Look at them with all the athletic ability and all that. We go, man, you don't know what you got. As the old saying goes that, you know, youth is wasted. <laughs> Life is youth is wasted on the young or whatever. And so they don't know what they have. They're just out there. And I think, oh, boy, we look back now and think about all the things we could have done, you know. Didn't know the potential we had and all the things that we could have done. And sometimes I think Christians are that way, that we're walking, living, coming to church and just going through the motions. And we don't know that Jesus Christ has given us an advantage. His spirit living within us. You say, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Well, let's see what Jesus said about it. John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your what? That I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit that lives within every believer sitting here today, watching online over at Creekside, the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Amen. The Holy Spirit lives within each and every one of us that we might have an advantage as we live in this world. I think this is an important topic because there's a lot of people who live their lives without even acknowledging the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about believers. And they're trying to just do it on their own through their own efforts and not realizing God has given to them tremendous potential and advantage through the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit. Paul believed He had an advantage, the Apostle Paul. He said in Philippians 4.13, many of us know it, I can do all things through Christ. Who what? Strengthens me. Amen. And there was nothing that he would face that he didn't think I could make it through that 
as long as God who dwells in me strengthens me. No mountain so high, no valley so wide, no ocean so deep that God is not deeper still. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's the question. Do you really believe that? Do you believe you have an advantage and why do we live as if we're at a disadvantage? Why do we believe the lies of the enemy many times? Telling us that we can't, what we can't do. Where we can't go. Say, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to be awakened, especially in this age we live in where so many challenges to the fact that we live with an advantage. A friend in high places. I know Mr. Brooks talked about friends in low places. Garth Brooks, amen. (laughs) But we have Jesus in high places. Like we had a friend in a high place at Pebble Beach. We've got a friend in high place seated at the right hand of the throne of God, amen. We have an advantage. In chapter one, as we move toward chapter two, I thought it was important for us to keep that in mind. As we look at chapter one, finish chapter one, and we move into chapter two, we look at the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that poured out upon the church. We're reminded of the very fact that God is indeed faithful that there is a promise that has been fulfilled. While the church is waiting, Peter and the rest are waiting in the upper room, waiting for that promise that we who sit here today have already received that promise. And so we begin here in our study for today in chapter one. At verse 15, we left off at verse 14 last time. And I want to read you to read along with me verses 15 to 20. And then we're going to, of course, finish chapter one and we'll get into chapter two. But what I want to do today is for us to focus on the Holy Spirit. That is to focus on the advantage that the Lord has given to us. So I'm going to spend some time at the end of the message talking about the advantage and why we have an advantage in Jesus Christ through the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit. But let's finish chapter one, verse 15. The Bible says, and in those days, Peter, now the background is, if you weren't here last time, background is Jesus told them to go into Jerusalem and wait for several days until they received the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so they're waiting in Jerusalem at this point. And in those days, the Bible says, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples all, all together. Uh, the number of them was about 120. And he said, men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Keep that in mind, had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us. He was one of the apostles and obtained a part in this ministry. He said the scripture must, this scripture must be fulfilled. And it was revealed through the Holy, by the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of King David. So the Holy Spirit As many sometimes think, well, the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit was working in the Old Testament. Amen? Amen? As well. Then he says in verse 18, now this man, speaking of Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. Little TMI. Amen? (laughs) But remember, Luke is a doctor. So he's going to break it down to you. And tells us how he died, how Judas died. Verse 18, verse, uh, I'm sorry, 19. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, language Aramaic, Akel Dama, which means fill the blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. He's quoting David here. Let his dwelling place be desolate. And let no one live in it and let another take his office. Amen. Well, let's unpack this a little bit and look at some of the application of it. While they're there in um, Jerusalem and waiting and Peter, of course, brings this up about Judas. 
And Judas' betrayal uh, had been a fulfillment of prophecy. God never does anything uh, unless it's according to his word. And, you know, if the Bible's anything, it's a book of prophecy. Sometimes people miss that. And they go, how do you know the Bible's real? Because God's batting a hundred. Amen. A thousand, I should say. <laughs> you know, he's, he's uh, all, all the prophecies that come to pass. The rebirth of Israel uh, and all of that, the destruction of Jerusalem in, in 70 AD, all these different things that scripture talks about has come to pass. It is a book of prophecy. And here David is speaking prophetically of the betrayal of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by Judas. The two Psalms that they, he uh, are credited to David, that uh, are verses that are credited to David uh, concerning the prophecy regarding Judas is Psalm 69, verse 25 and Psalm 109, verse 8, as we see here in verse 20. But David also said in Psalm 41, he said, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. It was a prophecy concerning Judas. Judas sat at the table, ate with Jesus. Of course, you know, on the night that he was betrayed in John chapter 13, Jesus said, the one that I dipped this sauce, um, this bread into the sauce or sop, the old King James calls it. I dipped this uh, bread into this spice. The one that I give this bread to is the one who's going to betray me. He gave it to who? Judas. And he revealed who his betrayer, uh, who the betrayer was. I mean, uh, you know, disciples are kind of still ignorant about it, but Jesus revealed it at that point in John 13. He knew it all along. It always amazes me that the Lord knew that he had a traitor among him uh, amidst, you know, amidst the, uh, among the uh, apostles. And yet he continued to love Judas. In verse 18, Luke, of course, you know, gives it a graphic description of, of Judas's death. And it seems to be a contradiction from Matthew 27, verse 5. Well, what does it say there? Well, Matthew says that Judas went out and hung himself. And, um, and you think, well, it says it hung himself. But here it says his, his body, you know, burst open and all that good stuff. Uh, well, the possible explanation is that Judas did hang himself. He hung himself over a cliff and the branch or the rope that he hung himself with broke and he fell down. And, of course, uh, Luke tells us the rest. <laughs> Uh, that happened to him. But he also mentions here that Judas uh, purchased a field and it's called the field of blood uh, and uh, that he, re he re received or, or the field was purchased, I should say, with the blood money. What's the blood money? A term called the blood money. Blood money was the money that he received for betraying Jesus Christ. How much was it? It was 30 pieces of silver. Amen. And the prophecy of Judas's paid betrayal was also given in the Old Testament of his paid betrayal. It's found in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. You're going to write it down and go back and read it later. But the prophet was instructed by God, uh, who the prophet Zechariah was speaking against the children of Israel. And, uh, and, and God told him to take 30 pieces of silver and to throw the 30 pieces of silver in the temple. And we'll see just in a moment here uh, that Judas did the same thing. 30 pieces of silver, it's interesting, as you look into the Old Testament, was the value of a slave. 30 pieces of silver, the value of a servant. Where's that? Exodus 21, verse 32. It says there basically that if an ox would gore or gores a servant, female or male servant, that the owner of the ox had to pay the master of that servant that was gored the amount, the value of 30 pieces of silver. And I thought about that, you know, wow, it's interesting, 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave that has been injured. Christ Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, amen, bruised for our iniquities. He came to wash the feet, to wash our feet. He came to serve and not to be served. And Judas saw him as nothing more than a slave. Judas saw him as nothing more than a means to an end. Remember, Judas was the treasurer, right? And he kept all the money. And he saw Jesus only as a means to an end. He sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. I don't know if he knew that that was the price of a slave in the Old Testament. But, you know, the devil believes that we have a price too. He believes that we have a price. And if Jesus Christ is nothing more to you today, that a means to an end, then your allegiance to Jesus and your devotion to Jesus is always up for sale. And the devil believes he knows your price. 
If Christ is nothing more than a means to an end. Some people come to church for that reason. Oh, he's just a means to an end. Oh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll make a business contact or maybe I'll meet my future spouse or whatever. And, and we have our own hopes and dreams. But, but when that doesn't happen after two or three years or whatever, do we all of a sudden, just, you know, my house is for sale. My devotion is for sale. And people like that who have that mentality, who have not truly given their life to Christ, who are just there for their own personal gratification, they don't last long. They soon leave. Because Christ is just a means to an end. But Christ must be the means and the end. Amen? Our everything. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, he is our life. Amen? And if he's, he's not that to us, then you know what? We can be bought at the right price. Now Luke says that Judas purchased a field, but the truth is that, and I think he was alluding to this, but the truth is that Judas did not purchase the field directly. Now we get into Matthew chapter 27. Let me tell you what's happening there. You can go back and read it later, but there we have the betrayal of Judas, you know, uh, mapped out for us, what actually happened. He came back with the 30 pieces of silver as he uh, was... uh, came to realize that he had betrayed an innocent man. He felt bad. He felt remorseful. He wanted to give the money back. The the priest said, what is that to us? And he said, we can't receive this money. It's blood money. Can't receive it. They considered it to be blood money. And he said, according to the law of Moses, we can't receive it. And where's to say that in the law of Moses that they couldn't receive this money was Numbers chapter 35. Numbers 35 verses 31 and 32 forbids, forbids the priest to receive any uh, type of blood money, you know, money you know, that was paid to someone to murder someone or whatever, to betray someone. It was considered blood money. And so in frustration, they wouldn't receive the money. Judas took the money. And again, according to the prophecy of Zechariah, he threw it down on the floor in the temple. And then he walked out and he went out and hung himself. I say, man, what, what a, what a, just a, a, the despair that Judas must have felt that the devil had him so tied up in knots that he didn't believe that God could forgive him. Amen. And he went out and hung himself. And I think a lot of people do that today. In a moment of desperation, the devil convinces him, oh, even God has given up on you. But that's a lie from the enemy. Amen. God loves us with an everlasting love. Amen. And yet Judas believed the lie of the enemy. He went out. He, his solution was to kill himself. He destroyed himself. And then there, the priest standing there and at Matthew 27 and saying, well, what are we going to do with this money laying on the floor? You know, priests don't want to waste any money. <laughs> Amen. He <laughs> said, well, we can't touch it. It's blood money. So they went out and they bought a field. They bought the very field that Judas hung himself and fell down into and burst in the middle and died there. They purchased that field and it was called there for the field of blood. And everybody knew about it. It tells us in verse 19, it says, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. Everybody knew about Judas. What a legacy. What a sorry legacy. Judas represents the fact that sin always costs you more than you're willing to pay. It will always keep you longer than you are willing to stay. And that cost of sin is laid right at the feet of the offender. The Bible says Judas purchased a field. He didn't know he was purchasing a field, but he did. Isn't that the way sin is? Laid at your feet. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Amen. Though the wages of sin is death. Here's the good news. The good news is the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you, amen, give God praise and glory. Hallelujah. There's a better choice than suicide. There's a better choice than walking around with the guilt and the shame of sin. But to bring it to Jesus is to allow him to take away our guilt and take away our shame. So many people are walking around with that. And we want to give, give it a new diagnosis. Or we want to drown it in alcohol. Or we want to drown it in drugs or, or medication. But the remedy... It's to confess our sin and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad about it today? Praise his holy name. You can leave a better legacy than Judas. 
no matter what you've experienced in your life. In verses 21 and 26 in chapter one here, basically what's going on is that they've got to, they got to select somebody to take Judas's place. And Peter's kind of heading up things here. And Peter said, of these men, what men? These men who are with them, who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two names, people that qualified. Joseph, who's also called Barnabas, who was surnamed, his family name, Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might be, he might go rather to his own place. And they cast their lots and a lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now what is amazing here to me is that Peter's taking the lead saying, hey, we need to get someone to replace Judas. And uh, they came up with two names, Barnabas or, or um, Joseph and Matthias. And, um, uh, and, and they put the names in a, uh, uh, drew, drew lots rather. The Bible says they drew lots. And that is maybe to put their names on a small stone and put them in a bag or whatever. And then whatever name they pulled out, that was the person. But notice they prayed and they said, Lord, what's your choice? What's your choice? They prayed. And then when their choice was Matthias, notice the Bible doesn't record, there wasn't any dissension or division or grumbling. Well, I don't know about that. Amen. <laughs> Y'all, you got that one person. I don't know about that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it was none of that. Why? Because they prayed. And they firmly believed that the answer that was given to them was from God. Think of that. Imagine that. What if we lived our lives that way? How many times have we had prayer remorse? Amen. Not buyer's remorse, prayer remorse. Lord, whatever your will is, Lord. And then God shows you his will and gives you the answer. And you go, well, I don't know if you really understood what I was saying. What I meant was the husband I wanted had to be handsome. <laughs> Amen. What I meant was, no, I'm teasing. Amen. What I meant was I wanted that job, you know. And God opened the door for you to get this other job, see? And then you're upset. Well, wait, wait a minute, Lord. You know, and, you know, we play games with God. But they prayed and they believed God. And they trusted God. And when the answer came, they said, thank you, Lord. End of discussion. Wow. I love that. We can learn a lesson from the people in the early church. Amen. There are churches today that divide over color the carpet. We want red because it represents the blood of Jesus. I want blue because it represents the sky. His soon return. <laughs> I don't know. Just, you know. People get upset over, divide over anything. But when you pray about it and you say, this is what God wants, that should end it. I mean, bickering and complaining. Amen. Now we come to chapter two. All right, let's read chapter two. Uh, not all of it, just verse, first four verses. It says, when the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly <laughs> there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. <laughs> then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. Jesus said, you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. Speaking to the, the, his disciples in uh, chapter one. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. And we're going to dive into that next week. But I really wanted to take this time. I felt led of the Lord to take this time to talk more about the Holy Spirit. Because who the Holy Spirit is. Because there's a lot of ignorance within the church about who the Holy Spirit is. People don't know they have an advantage. 
and why they have an advantage. We're going to talk about the reason why we have an advantage because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it was the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was an annual Jewish celebration. That was, they celebrated the wheat harvest. And the day of Pentecost. Pentecost came 50 days after um, Passover. In fact, the word Pentecost literally means 50 or 50 days. I was thinking about that and doing the math because I, I did take math in school, amen. And, um, but Jesus was in the tomb for three days. He appeared to his disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. So he probably ascended on the 43rd day. And when he told them to go into Jerusalem and wait, they probably waited around seven days because it was seven days before Pentecost. And I thought also the fact that the Hebraic number for, for seven, of course, means perfection, fullness. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It means abundance. It means rest. The Holy Spirit is our rest. We rest in the Holy Spirit. And it also means completion. The work of Christ is completed because he's established a church now on the earth in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Amen. He's given us his Holy Spirit. Now, that's just me. That's, you know, you don't have that. You say it was the gospel, but I can also do math. So anyway, I just figured that it was probably 50 days. Some uh, scholars argue that it could have been as many as 10 days. So it's kind of a sidebar issue. But why is the outpouring is where I want us to focus. Why is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit an advantage for us today as believers? Here's the reason why it's an advantage. It's an advantage because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He dwells within you. Liberal theologians will tell you that the Holy Spirit is a ghost or whatever. We've heard people say Holy Ghost, yeah. But he's a person. Did you know the Holy Spirit was a person? So sometimes we forget that. We think the Holy Spirit is an it. He's not an it. And he's not the force. For you Star Wars fans, I need the force, Luke, you know, whatever, the force. He's not a force. You can't grieve an it. You can't grieve this podium. You can't grieve a force, but you can grieve a person. And the Bible says what about the Holy Spirit? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit has feelings. You know, the Holy Spirit has his feelings hurt. When we quench the Holy Spirit, when we deny the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you know, like that parent that's saying, come on, you can do this. And I don't want nothing to do with you. How does mama feel? How does a father feel when a child responds that way? We respond that way to the Holy Spirit. He's grieved. Because he really knows what's the best for you. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He's not just ghost or some it or whatever. He's a person. You can also another liberal uh, thought, liberal, liberal theolo theological thought, is that the Holy Spirit is a she. God is not she, he's a he. I'll just tell you real quick, the Bible says he's Father God. Amen. And I know we, we're all confused about gender today, but that's a he. Amen. He's Father. So the Holy Spirit is a he because he is the spirit of the father that lives within us. God, the father. Here's the third thing we might want to take note of. And that is the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So, oh, got you there. There's no word. No word. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. And so, yeah, but the definition for it is. There he is the third person of the Trinity. First John chapter five, verse seven says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, who's the Word? Jesus. Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? And the Holy Spirit, and these three are what? One. There's your Trinity. As vapor and ice and water are the same, are they not? Yet appear in different forms, so is the Trinity of God. Defined this way, another way. One God, but three co-eternal persons. Co-substantial, that is, of the same substance. What is that substance? 
Three substance that's only ascribed to God or attributed to God. It's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Only God can do those things. Now, what do those words mean? They're great theological words. We're going to break them down and show you why we have an advantage in the Holy Spirit. There are characteristics that only belong to God. The Spirit of God living in you. It is God living in you. The Bible says, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit abides within you. It's his house. Amen. And he lives within us. How? In all power. He's omnipotent. The spirit is omnipotent, meaning all powerful. Jesus said you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's not power to do what we want to do. It's power to glorify Jesus Christ. And so he dwells within us with all power. Which tells me also that I'm never powerless, but he's given me power, power to be transformed. I don't transform myself. The Holy Spirit does it. First Samuel chapter 10, verse six. It even says of King Saul, King Saul would later uh, uh, forsake the Lord with sin against the Lord. But when he was anointed king, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon him and Saul, King Saul became another man. The Holy Spirit is able to transform. And then the power that he's given to us, Holy Spirit being all powerful, has given us power, gives us power to perform. Zechariah chapter four, verse six says that not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. How do we live this Christian life? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within us. He has all power. In other words, we're never defeated in him. The advantage that we have is our total reliance upon the Holy Spirit's ability and not our insufficiency. I'll say it again. The power that we have is, is total reliance upon the Holy Spirit's ability and not my insufficiency because I can only do so much. I am limited and you are limited. And a lot of times God brings us and allows things to happen in our lives to bring us to the end of ourselves where we say, God, I can't do it. And he says, I finally got you where I want you where you're totally dependent upon me. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 and 21, Paul says, now to him who is able, who is able, God is able, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. Praise his holy name. He works in us according to his power. He's all powerful. I was driving down this morning. I was looking at this building as I came in early this morning. And I said, God, if I had seen this 20 years ago, I never would have believed it. That you could, you're able to do this. Now, some of you have come here and you said, oh, I've seen better sanctuaries. And so, Let me tell you, all this was was a field of weeds 20 years ago, 23 years, almost 23 years ago. I came out here with my little lawnmower. I thought, well, you know, before Sunday comes, I'm going to kind of clean the place up. All these tall weeds out here, man, and cut them down. And man, there's rebarb in the ground. There was, you know, uh, beer bottles and cans all over the place, liquor bottles. You know, this was the place for people to come hang out, I guess, and throw their, their empties out or whatever, you know. And I got my lawnmower out there and I was cutting the grass and cutting those weeds and all. Man, I busted up my lawnmower, you know, but I got those weeds down. This building over here that we were in, it had all, it was all boarded up, all that nice glass we got there for the cafe now and all that was all boarded up with gray plywood. People thought it was an abandoned building. We had a little sign up on top of the building, Calvary Chapel, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it looked like an abandoned building so much so people would bring their trash here and dump it on the side of the building over there. Oh, we might as well dump it here. This is a dump, you know. I mean, it's very challenging. I look at what God has done. How? By the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. And I drive up now and I see what the Lord has done. Don't you dare put Al Pittman's name on this building or any place in this place. God has done this. Amen. To God be the glory. Amen. Nobody has done it but Jesus Christ. I thank God. It's by the power of his Holy Spirit. I couldn't see it how God was going to do it, but he did it. Praise his holy name. He's all powerful. What are you hoping for God to do in your life? Not only that, he's all knowing. He's omniscient. 
all-knowing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 says, but God has revealed them to us through, the, through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. The spirit goes deep, searches the deep things of God, all-knowing. No one knows the mind of God, but the spirit of God. Amen. And he knows, therefore, because he's all knowing, he knows what my need is. He knows what our needs are. But here's the deal. He and he will provide for those needs. But he does it in such a way that it magnifies and glorifies Jesus Christ. You see, God, I've got some financial issues. And if I could just win the lottery, see, we could get this handled. Then I could tithe a little bit and then everything. You know what I'm saying? We have that easy route, that quick route. I got a solution, Lord. We have our solutions, don't we? But God tells us to wait on him. Why? Because the just shall live by faith. Amen? And we live by faith in the Lord. And so God doesn't, he's not going to let you win the lottery. Stop praying that prayer. Because he wants you dependent on him and not the lottery. Amen? Amen. So that Christ can be glorified. So when the miracle happens and he brings you through and people say, how did you do it? And you say, nobody but Jesus. Amen. He gets the praise and he gets the glory. Amen. He's all knowing. He knows what your situation is, but he's going to work it out in a way that brings glory to Jesus Christ. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. Oh, I've seen it hundreds of times in my own life. Isaiah says in Isaiah 43, thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. Isaiah was talking about the Red Sea, how God delivered the children of Israel through the Red Sea. You know the story. You saw the movie, Ten Commandments. (laughs) Moses stretched his rod out. The sea parted. The children of Israel went across on dry land. The Egyptians tried to follow them and they were swallowed up by the Red Sea. And Isaiah is saying, God knows the way through the sea. I shared this last service and then I went upstairs and found an article on it. But, you know, you can research it yourself. But there is a land bridge they discovered many years ago in the Red Sea. And possibly the children of Israel crossed over on that land bridge that was in the sea. They didn't know it. They just saw the waves. Ain't no way. We're going to die today. God made a way in the sea. God has a land bridge for you in the sea of your trials and your tribulations. Why? Because he knows all things. Amen. He's all knowing. Amen. That's what Isaiah is saying here. He makes a way in the midst of the sea. Amen. Because he knows all things. God made a way for the children of Israel. He's going to make a way for you. We can trust in the spirit. Why? Because the spirit is God. And God knows the end from the beginning. Isaiah 46, 10 tells us we have an advantage. You're not at a disadvantage. You have an advantage so much so that no weapon formed against you will prosper. You know, Isaiah says that God created the silversmith or the, 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 the blacksmith who makes the, you know, the, uh, the makes the, the ornaments or whatever. I mean, he's created that person. You know, God's in charge of everything. Therefore, if God's in charge of the one who's you know, bringing down the hammer and making these things, he says no weapon formed against you will prosper because he's created all things. He has dominion over even the people who are coming out against you. He's got dominion over them. That's what he said. And he said in Isaiah that this is the heritage of those who trust in the Lord. What heritage that no weapon formed against you will prosper because God knows everything. It's all in his control. We can't see it, but he makes a way when we cannot, can't even see. We cannot even see. We have an advantage in our journey through this life. We're not at a disadvantage. We are never lost and we're never without hope. We serve an all-knowing God. And the last thing is the spirit of God is omnipresent. Excuse me. He's omnipresent. What does that mean? He means he's everywhere at once. Amen. Only God can do that. He's everywhere at once. He's in the world. He's in this world plagued by loneliness. This world plagued by abandonment. People have been abandoned. This world plagued by betrayal. People have been betrayed. And yet in the midst of all of that, the Lord is there with us. We have an advantage. I know the person walked out on you. I know they, you know, you lost your job or whatever it might be. You may be going through. Listen, the Lord has not abandoned you. He's ever present. He's present with us emotionally. He's present with us physically, mentally, and spiritually. We are never alone. He's omnipresent. 
He's everywhere. He's in that emotional pain, that physical pain, whatever we're going through, the Lord is there. The Bible says we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. That word sympathize, it means that he's able to feel what we feel. People come to you and say, oh, I know how you feel. No, they don't. Because pain is personal. But Jesus feels exactly what you feel right now. He's a high priest who's able, he knows how to intercede for you. He knows what you need. Nobody feels what you feel like Jesus. Jesus knows what you're going through and he's ever present no matter how, what emotional trial you're going through or whatever it might be, he's there with us. There's no long distance relationship with Jesus Christ, amen? (laughs) No long distance relationship. You don't have to look him up on the internet, amen? And then, uh, you know, plan to meet him in another city, amen? Hallelujah. You know, I know sometimes people have done that and if you've done that, God bless you, amen? We find somebody on the internet, we go, oh, you know, we fly all the way out there to meet them, and they don't look nothing like the picture they posted, amen? <laughs> you know, <laughs> bait and switch, you know, switch, whatever, you know. And uh, you out there, I got to buy a ticket to go home now. <laughs> amen. But thank God, he's not, it's not a long-distance relationship. We're not trying to, you know, connect on the internet with him or whatever. It's personal. Why is it personal? Because the Bible says, and we just went through the holiday seasons, that Emmanuel is with us. He wants us to experience Emmanuel. What does that mean? You know what it means. God with us. God is with you. God is ever present no matter what you're going through. God is with you. We have an advantage in him. him. He's a present help in time of need. David said in Psalm 46 verse 1. Present help. Real time. Not well I'll get back to you next week or take a number. You're not at the DMV. Amen. Amen. And he's a present joy. David said, in your presence is the fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, 11. Amen. The application I want to leave you with today is this concerning the Holy Spirit. And I want to give you eight, what I call amenities, sticking with my illustration in the beginning. Eight amenities, amenities of the Holy Spirit. Eight works, if you want to call them that, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is not limited to eight, but these basic eight works you can find in the life of every believer and you find in the world. And so let me go through them quickly and then we'll wrap things up. But uh, number one, the Holy Spirit has come, was given to us to baptize us in Christ. We're baptized in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter six is not on the screen, but Romans chapter six says that we're baptized in his death, that we might live according to the power of his resurrection. Amen. We're baptized. When you come to Jesus Christ, you're baptized in him. Jesus told a religious man, Nicodemus, you must be born again. In other words, you must be born of the spirit, Nicodemus. And for us to come to Jesus Christ, we must be born of the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. How does that happen? You don't go back into your mother's womb, as Nicodemus uh, sarcastically said. But you're born by the Spirit of God. There's a transformation in your life. And we are sealed in the Spirit. So we're baptized in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus said we, we, we would be baptized in him. And then the second thing, amenity, if you will, of the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit's been given to glorify Christ in our lives. In John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, speaks of the fact Jesus said, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak of himself, he will speak of me, he will glorify me. Holy Spirit, we don't glorify the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's glorifying Jesus. If somebody's glorifying the Holy Spirit, you know, and just, you know, all they're talking about is just what the Holy Spirit, they never talk about Jesus. They're probably not talking by the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to always glorify Jesus. Amen. Amen. Glorify him. The Holy Spirit, thirdly, has been given to sanctify us. That's an ongoing process. God is still sanctifying us and, and, and working in our lives. First Peter chapter one, verse two says that he sanctifies us uh, or sanctification rather of the spirit comes so that we can be obedient. It's for our obedience. Sanctification is for our obedience. In other words, it's a lifetime, it's a lifelong journey. It's not like oh, I finally reached this place and the Holy Spirit just leave me alone now and I'm good. No. All the rest of your life, he's there to sanctify us. He's a personal trainer, amen? He's that trainer that'll come knock on your door and tell you to get out of bed and do 10 push-ups or whatever. I mean, he's, he's gonna work on your case, amen? Perfecting in us the likeness of Jesus Christ. The fourth thing is the Holy Spirit, of course, has been given to the world and given to us as well to convict us of sin, but to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. John chapter 16, verses 8 to 11. The Holy Spirit is working in the world. A lot of people want to deny the existence of God, but I wonder sometimes, then why do you try to hide your face when you're, 
you're doing that perp walk into the jail. If there's no shame in the world and, and there's no God, where's that conviction come from? Where's the shame come from? It's the Holy Spirit working in the world, whether they know God or not, to convict men of sin and of righteousness and judgment. The fifth thing is the Holy Spirit is given to us for fellowship. Philippians chapter two, verse one, Paul says there, if there's any fellowship in the spirit, we should have fellowship with one another. Fellowship in the spirit, in the Holy Spirit. We fellowship here at Calvary Worship Center, the church of Jesus Christ fellowships, not around our ethnicity, not around how we dress or, or, or demographics or anything else. We fellowship around the fact that we are in the spirit. There's fellowship in the spirit. Walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. Amen. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So the Holy Spirit's been given with us, given to us so that I can have fellowship with my brother no matter where he or she comes from uh, in the world. We have fellowship. Why? Because it's in the spirit. And then number six, the Holy Spirit's been given to us to liberate us. What the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Second Corinthians 317. Now, let me just say this. I'm running out of time, but I want to say this real quick. The Holy Spirit's been given us for liberty, not for insubordination. And a lot of times people think, well, I'm in the church. I do what I want with God told me, you know, rebelling against church authority and all of that. That's not God. That's insubordination. That's disobedience. And it's never going to work to your good, according to Hebrews chapter 13. Amen. And sometimes we think it's the Holy Spirit. He's not. He's the Holy Spirit, not the goofy spirit. Amen. Uh, he's not somebody, you know, people come to church and I've been in churches where, you know, People have gotten up and, you know, I, I, I love express myself and worship the Lord and dance about a little bit. But, you know, people get up and start running around the church doing laps in the sanctuary. Amen. Pastor pull out his timer. All right. You know, <laughs> breaking records, you know, there he goes. You know. and, and I know we've been in some churches like that. We think, oh, well, I was just moved by the Holy Spirit. I couldn't help it. And the Holy Spirit hit me. The Holy Spirit never hits anybody. He fills us. Amen. He doesn't, he doesn't hit us because everything that should be done in the church should be done decently and in order. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 14. Check it out. Decently and in order. Well, I just can't help it. it just, hey, listen, isn't one of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit self-control? Amen. Now, that's a whole nother message. We'll break that down some other time. Amen. But when people talk about, oh, I'm liberated in the Lord, it doesn't mean that you should be out of order or insubordinate. Amen. God, I, got it. I hate that. I need more time. And the Holy Spirit was given to us to equip us for battle. Michael chapter three, verse eight said, but truly I am full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And Michael spoke the truth to Israel in their rebellion. We need the power to battle against the darkness in our day and to speak the truth of God and with boldness. And so the Holy Spirit has been given to us that we might how to know how to battle. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and darkness in high places. Amen. But through the power of God, through the sword of the spirit. Amen. We're able to do battle against the enemy, the word of God. And the eighth thing is that the Holy Spirit has been given to us that we might love each other. Romans chapter five, verse five says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Amen. There are eight amenities, if you will, and maybe you didn't get all of them or whatever, but there that you can write down, but the Holy Spirit working in our life. Therefore, we are never at a disadvantage. Amen. Well, under the care, under the care of the Holy Spirit. Here's my question today. We have received this Holy Spirit as we received Christ. We received the Holy Spirit when we were born again. Question is, what have we done with the Holy Spirit? Jesus said this, he said, if you then being evil know how to give, give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Another uh, place in the gospels, it said, how much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And here's the deal is that we live our lives as if we don't need the Holy Spirit's help. We live our lives as if we're independent of the Holy Spirit. And that's never what God meant. He wants us to embrace his presence that is abiding within us, that we understand that we're never at a disadvantage, that we have a helper, a comforter, a paraclete, one who comes alongside to help us, no matter if it's finding a parking space or if it's, you know, if it's starting a business or whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is there to aid and to guide us, not to condemn us, but to comfort us. We need to utilize to receive the advantage Christ 
has sent to us to receive the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. You say, well, I thought you said we already have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but there's one baptism. We're all baptized in Christ, but there are many infillings. These disciples, as we'll see next week, they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, were refilled in Acts chapter four. So there's one baptism, but many infillings. So there's nothing wrong in saying, hey, I, pastor, I need a fresh touch today. I need to be filled afresh with the power of God, with his spirit today. My friend, if that's you, I'm going I'm to ask you in just a moment to, 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 to acknowledge that by just coming down this aisle and, and one of the aisles and kneeling here at these steps and saying, God, it's me. I need your touch. The old song, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my mother, not my brother, but it's me, oh Lord. And it may be you today, not your mother, your brother, but it's you. You need a fresh infilling in your life. If God has put his hand upon your, your heart right now, you need an infilling. Spouses fighting against each other. You know, maybe it's because Christ is not the center of your life and not the center of your marriage. Two spouses fighting in the house. <laughs> Forgotten that there's a third person in the house and that is the Holy Spirit. We need to incorporate him in our daily life as believers that we might experience the power of God working in us and through us. David prayed, Psalm 51, and we'll close. He said, you know what, Lord? He didn't say, you know what, Lord? <laughs> but he said this. He relied upon the Holy Spirit so much, he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. That's that infilling, that refilling that we all desperately need in Jesus. With those direct words from Pastor Al Pittman, we close today. As Pastor Al asked, are you experiencing the joy of your salvation? If you would like to respond to the offer of a refilling through prayer, you can reach out and submit a prayer request to the team at Calvary Worship Center. Just go to cwccs.org and click under Need Prayer to signify that you want to take action right now you can be sure your request will be prayed over. Next time, we'll be back in Acts chapter 2. Join us for another Through the Bible teaching with Pastor Al Pittman. This program is presented by Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs.